Welcome to Stroke of Genius, a show exploring inventions, the inventors behind them, and the role that intellectual property plays in dreams becoming reality. I'm your host, Lauren Hutchinson. I'm a historian of science and a technology reporter, and I'm fascinated by humankind's ability to innovate and advance the world we live in. In this episode, we'll profile three entrepreneurial inventors in different stages of the patent process who all share a common goal, to make the world a better place. We'll follow the journey from patent pending to patent issued and meet innovators who are creating for the social good. For empowerment, safety and advocacy, NoNap is a cocktail napkin that is able to detect specific rape drug presence in drinks. For drug-free pain relief from nerve damage, you know, our, our goal is to f- help people um, who suffer from amputation pain better manage their pain um, using our wearable vibrating device. And for the betterment of our environment while creating work opportunities for communities in need. I'm hoping that one day in rural South Carolina, we will be growing crops or processing wood waste that will ultimately end up as auto parts for the car industry that's in our state or plane parts for the aviation industry that's there as well. We start our trek through social entrepreneurship in Delaware. Amira Idris was a biomedical engineering student at the University of Delaware and had always dreamt of building things for people and even onto people. So I'm originally from Nigeria, but I spent most of my childhood here in the United States. Growing up as a young kid, I always wanted to be an engineer like my dad. Um, And my dad, he's a civil engineer. But instead of building roads, I actually wanted to build robots. Uh, mainly because my one of my favorite childhood movies growing up was the movie RoboCop. That are alive, you are coming with me. So I actually just wanted to build the future RoboCops of the world. Doing this would require learning about prosthetics and how the interplay between biology and technology could turn a disability into an advantage. You know, I always loved the idea of using technology to give humans super abilities. And when I went to college, I still wanted to do that. And I learned about the prosthetic field where people were fitted with artificial body parts. I got the chance to work at a prosthetic clinic, which is basically a clinic that fits people with amputated limbs for their prosthesis, because I really wanted to learn a little bit more about the field and how I can get into it. It was during Amira's time at the clinic that she learned of a bigger, unmet need for amputees, pain management. So a lot of the patients that came to the clinic were complaining about how they were having pain in their residual limb, which is um, basically the remaining limb um, after the amputation. And a lot of the, the, the term that kept coming up was phantom limb pain. Amira came to understand that phantom limb pain is the ongoing painful sensation that someone missing a limb or body part feels, even though it's no longer there. And this was really impacting quality of life of the individuals who were sharing their story. And for me, that was just the aha moment of, wow, there's something even greater that a lot of people are not addressing. And that's how my whole journey of trying to help, you know, people who have amputation pain better manage their pain. And that led to Theravy being founded. Theravy is the company that Amira founded while still in school with the intent to develop a prototype she was working on that could help ease phantom limb pain and neuropathic pain as well. What is that? Neuropathic pain is just pain that someone experiences due to um, damage of nerves, um, especially sensory nerves. You have nerves in your body where you're able to feel pressure, you're able to feel pain, you're able to feel temperature, 
And usually either because of a disease or because of some kind of injury, those nerves can be damaged and that can affect your sensory. So they either feel burning, itching, aching. Even if the location of the pain has technically healed externally, um, the nerves are so damaged that they're still perceiving that pain. According to Amira, as many as 42 million people in the United States experience some type of neuropathic pain to varying degrees. TheraVe's Elix device aims to ease this pain by stimulating the damaged nerves using vibration therapy. Acting as a roadblock, the vibrations work as a sort of massage on the residual limb, which helps to disrupt the pain signals that the brain perceives. I end up coming up with this idea um, when I was trying to find an alternative way to help with um, amputation pain management that was drug-free, non-invasive, um, and very low risk. And what I ran into was vibration therapy and this concept of the gate control theory of pain. A theory that explains that when you have pain um, in a part of your body, you're able to use mechanical stimulation such as vibration and pressure to basically block those pain signals from being relayed to the brain. Research has shown only one signal can get to the brain and usually the vibration overpowers the pain signal and it blocks certain channels in the nerves from relaying pain signals to the brain. Amira developed the TheraV Elix in her apartment in between classes. The device is wrapped around the limb, similar to a blood pressure cuff, and is worn over the residual limb. And initially, the idea was a vibrating sock, but that evolved to the wrap after um, prototyping iterations and feedback that we got from amputees, physical therapists, and prosthetists that we were working with to get feedback on. The user is basically able to apply vibration therapy to the location of their limb by manually controlling a unit that is attached to the wrap. And the unit applies vibration therapy that can be controlled by either increasing the vibration intensity, decreasing the vibration intensity, or having a pulsating or continuous vibration. Through the support and encouragement of a solid network of mentors, advisors, and contemporaries at her university, Amira was able to get her invention to a place where she could file a provisional patent. I was able to get the support to you know, start filing a provisional patent, which is basically a placeholder uh, for you to file a patent within 12 months. But one of the biggest challenges with, with filing patent comes from, from funding, right? And finding a good lawyer who's able to help you file that patent. And I've been very fortunate to, to find a lawyer that can help me with that. And it's through their help that I was able to file um, my non-provisional patent for my device. And after many iterations and getting feedback from amputees and clinics, she was able to zero in on what Elix would become. Right now, we have a patent pending for our device. And we're currently, because of that patent pending, we're able to share information about our device and what we're doing. And then we're also able to market the device. And so we're in the process of selling and marketing our current devices that we have, getting feedback back on that, and still in the patent pending approval process. Amira, while still in this process, was able to share some early advice for patent seekers. A lot of people think that, you know, if I have an idea, I can file the patent by myself, but there's some things that you might not think about. And having someone who's um, very knowledgeable in that space has been very helpful to me. From being with my mentors and getting the advice, I made sure to seek like a patent lawyer who understood that. So I'm not, you know, putting myself in a situation <laughs> where I'm not filing the patent properly. 
and to Amira, the patent process, beyond just owning her innovation and creativity, is valuable in a real way in her search for investors. The whole patent process is very important because especially if you're planning to raise money from investors for your invention or your business, the patent process is very helpful because it shows them that you have something very unique that cannot be easily copied. And if it is copied, you can always pursue <laughs> it legally. But the, the patent process has been very helpful in starting out conversations with investors and giving me the opportunity to go out and tell people about what I'm I'm doing in detail. Part of Amira's drive to help overcome chronic pain is to lessen dependence on long-term medications and opioid dependency, which can often be the result. For me, it's all about trying to help this community of people better manage their pain, especially with the whole opioid epidemic that's happening in the United States. And prescription medication opioid addiction is a really big problem for amputees because they're more likely to get prescribed multiple prescription drugs to take to help with their pain and other type of conditions that they have. As she continued to develop her device, Amira also saw a need in a specific population of amputees she wanted to help, veterans. She tried to get her invention to the Department of Veteran Affairs for use in their healthcare settings, but encountered a lot of unexpected red tape and regulatory hurdles. So, as any inventor would do, she figured out another way forward. About January of this year, I launched a crowdfunding campaign um, to basically raise funds from friends and family to give my devices to veterans who are living with amputation pain. People who've served our country and for one reason or another, they've lost their limb. And now they have to live not only with the trauma that came from either being in a war zone or from fighting a war, but they also have to live with the trauma of living in amputation on top of that. I was able to raise about $11,000 to give um, 50 devices to veterans who have amputation pain. We asked Amira what keeps her going. As a newly graduated student who could easily find a lucrative engineering job, what is her biggest driver in growing Therapy? It's funny because like when I started this, I really did not know how I was going to do it. I did not know how I was going to develop the device. I did not know what the future looked like. No, I was honestly afraid of failing and speaking to people and just being honest with them about you know some of the challenges I'm facing. I've been able to get through it. And the community that I've really involved myself with, I go to their support groups. You know, I get to meet them personally. For me, it's just like what really drives me. And just to hear people email me or call me and tell me how, you know, your device really um, allowed me to be able to sleep at night or, you know, the burning pain that I had when I put on the device, it's not there anymore. And for me, that's just like, oh my gosh, like this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Next, we head to George Washington University in Washington, D.C. to catch up with a student there who took an awful experience and turned it into an empowerment tool. She saw a need without a solution, so she created one of her own. My name is Danya Sherman. I'm the founder and CEO of NoNap LLC. So during the summer of 2016, while I was studying abroad in Spain, I was socializing with one of my friends when he had drugged my drink and took advantage of the situation. And it was only upon returning back to the States and sharing my story with close friends did I find I was not alone. And in fact, in 2016, it was estimated that one out of every 13 college-aged individuals suspected having a drink laced with a rape drug. And it was at this realization 
that I knew I had to do something about the issue. While taking a class in entrepreneurship, at the urging of her parents, Danya was given the impetus to wrap her head around starting a business. What would be a useful product? Where is there a need? I've been humbled to have spoken with um, over 750 of peers, friends, and complete strangers alike. And over half, 55% of the individuals I personally spoke to said that they, they themselves uh, were either affected or they knew someone that was affected by the issue of drug-facilitated assault. I took a course called Women's Entrepreneurial Leadership, which was taught by Professor Kathy Fry. And I like to say it changed my life. In the course on the first day, the professor said, Everyone in the class is making a business plan. We're going to enter it in the new venture competition. And it was because of that that really I put pen to paper for NoNap and, and was able to receive seed funding through GW's new venture competition as well as Pitch George competition and really received validation for the issue and as well as a need for a product similar to NoNap. So what is NoNap exactly? NoNap is a cocktail napkin that is able to detect specific rape drug presence in drinks. All someone has to do is, is take a drop of their drink or a few drops of their drink, place it on a, a specific area of the napkin, and if there's drug presence, there's a color change. It's very discreet. A majority of drinks that are laced are open-brim cocktails, so we're saying individuals can either use their finger or a stir stick to use as a mode of liquid transfer. As a young inventor, there is a ton of room for both innovation and reimagining your initial aha moment. For Danya, it was a winding path. There's a thing in entrepreneurship called iteration, iteration, and iteration. Uh, so when my company started, it actually started as a stir stick idea. And I was doing a patent search on different stir sticks. She found that there was a patent for a drug-detecting stir stick. But upon further research, there was a design flaw. When the stir stick is put into the drink, the chemical used to detect the drugs would then mix with the drink, making it equally unsafe for consumption. It had to happen outside the glass. So Daniel went back to the drawing board. So I remember very distinctly having a call with my father and saying, you know, Dad, I have to come up with a different idea for a company because the product's not feasible, it's not going to work. And my dad said to me, no, Danya, don't drop it, iterate. So that's what Danya did. She asked questions, she came at the problem from a different angle, and she talked it through with her father. He said, he said to me, Danya, what about a napkin? And I said, I'll call you back, Dad. And I stayed up the whole night just drawing, probably on napkins, um, different ideas on how the product would work and, and different names. And it was that night I came up with the idea of no nap, the napkin that knows. When you look at the no-nap, it looks, feels, acts like a regular napkin, but to the individual that knows what it is, they'll be able to know whether or not their drink is safe for consumption and have more of an idea of what they're putting into their bodies. Now that Danya has her idea flushed out and is preparing to manufacture the product, she is honing in on her broader mission. We're combating drug-facilitated assault, not just through a product, but as well through education and advocacy, through protocols we'll be putting out later through our website, um, really just in a what now campaign. So you're, you're in different settings and you're not comfortable, what do you do now? Your napkin change colors, what do you do now? Um, and then eventually advocacy and, and in promotion of harsher penalties for persecutors of sexual violence. We really wanna combat the issue head on and, and not just through one means of an empowerment tool, but really to help empower individuals and advocate against the issue of drug-facilitated assault and crime.
One way Dania sees her invention working to curb the use of these drugs is by partnering with clubs and bars to have NoNap on offer to all patrons. I see NoNap as a catch-22 in which we want the product to be discreet enough so individuals are comfortable using it in any social setting. Um, but as well, we want it to serve as a deterrent. We're also working with bars, clubs, and social institutions to provide NoNaps for patrons so individuals have to opt out rather than opt in to use the product in social settings. So really putting the onus as well on institutions to promote patron safety. So what keeps Sanya going when getting her invention to market hits roadblocks? I am extremely driven, first off, by my personal story and, and my goal of empowering individuals to be safer in social settings so they don't have to go through similar experiences. I am constantly inspired every day by the just the drive and the entrepreneurial spirit that is very much alive within millennials. That spirit has given Dania the inspiration to stay the course through the ups and downs every new business venture experiences. She has now gone through the provisional patent process and currently has a patent pending for her no-nap invention. We are patent pending and it's been an amazing process, um, an amazing learning process. From the beginning, um, I have been constantly amazed by the paperwork that is involved, but it all makes sense because if you're going to get a patent, you want to make sure it's as protected as possible and your invention is as protected as possible. Um, I knew I wanted to get a patent to protect the idea and the intellectual property and the work that my company and my team has put into creating the product, that we own the rights to that and we own the rights to our intellectual property is extremely, extremely important in my eyes. Um, just in ensuring that that entrepreneurs also have the incentive to create and innovate, um, that someone won't come in after and take their idea. And Dania has advice for anyone also going through the process of starting a business and bringing an invention to market. Lynn Tilton made an amazing quote, which was, and I'm totally going to misquote her, but it was along the lines of companies fail because they're not seen to the end. And that was so inspiring for me. Just keep pushing, keep pushing until there's validation that your product doesn't work or that it's not needed in the market space. And at that point, iterate. Talk to the people that are within your targeted demographic. Do they feel the same pain point that you as the founder are trying to address? Is the issue in the solution? Does the product or service, the, the solution as a whole, address the pain point? And if not, what does? And as Dania moves to her next iteration, here is how you can get in touch. If individuals that are listening are, are interested in learning more about NoNap, they can find more information on our website. That's K-N-O-N-A-P.com. For the last leg of our patent-pending journey, we head to Columbia, South Carolina, home to Joe James, a longtime city economic developer who always had an untapped bug for science and chemistry. Joe began his company, Agritech Producers, after he came to a life-shifting realization during his last post. Well, I, I was a 33-year economic development professional, and I worked exclusively for cities and urban counties. And then I was uh, recruited to take a senior position in South Carolina's Commerce Department. It was my first statewide job, and it was my first exposure to rural communities. And unfortunately, in a way, it was my first exposure to really chronic poverty in especially black rural communities in the South along the Black Belt. And uh, that's what stimulated me as a social entrepreneur to try to figure out 
some innovative ways of uh, creating jobs in those communities. And those communities are, by their very nature, uh, they have lots of biomass. They have farmland and forest land and places where these things are grown. And uh, if you could add value to that material, my prior experience had shown anytime you could add value to whatever assets a community has, it's a great way of creating jobs that are tied to that community. This idea budding inside Joe James was not new to him. He had long thought of ways to lift up others. I was born and raised in New Jersey, the Garden State. I went to public school. I, I for some reason, love science. And uh, that sort of had me headed to college uh, to study chemistry. But what happened in my, my uh, junior year, Dr. King was killed. And if you remember what he was doing at the time of his death, he'd figured out, at least in my opinion, that um, unless you had the economic wherewithal to enjoy your freedom, you really weren't free. And so uh, that led me to, in a way, step away from science and get focused on economic development. My last role in economic development was working for the South Carolina Commerce Department, and the inspiration of Dr. King never went away. And when I saw the poverty in those communities, I just could not, uh, could not leave that alone. I had to figure out something that would, uh, would help. And in fact, I'm excited about the various technologies that we have because they have global application. And in fact, they can have positive impacts all over the world and some special impacts uh, in the African diaspora across the world, trying to make life better and more sustainable for people. Joe's global ambitions and his desire to create jobs in rural South Carolina started to focus around a central idea, biomass. But what is biomass exactly? First of all, you and me, we're biomass. Anything that's living or has lived is biomass. So plants and trees and animals are biomass. And the material that we're made of is biomass by that very nature. So our initial focus was to create bio-coal, to create a clean and renewable alternative to coal, actually something that could be co-fired in an existing coal plant. And overnight, you could go from 100% fossil material to 25% renewable or 50% renewable. The only problem was that that material, uh, that, that fuel, cost two to three times as much as regular coal. And as he waded into this idea, it became clear to Joe that the cost to produce bio-coal on its own were too high and was not going to be sustainable without federal or state incentives. And so he started to think of other ways to reduce the cost. Desperation is the mother of invention. We were in a challenging spot where we'd spent time and money trying to make bio-coal and, and uh, realized that that was not going to happen at the level that we had hoped it would, at least not here in the U.S. And uh, we were forced to come up with some new new ideas. And that, in a way, led me to inventing this uh, latest technology that we have that combines remediation of soil and water with the production of biomass. And when you put those two together, you're able to spread the cost of growing the crop in the first place over several activities, which allows you to reduce cost. Joe walked us through some of the innovative ways he has figured out to reduce costs and essentially use the biomass from growth to harvest and beyond. The first phase? It's called phytoremediation. It's essentially the way that plants, as they grow, are able to remove, in many cases, undesirable substances from soil and water through their root systems primarily. Uh, so as the plant is taking up nutrients and water into the plant body to help the plant grow, quite often other things are taken up as well. We've started out with a, an annual crop called biomass sorghum, but the sorghum that we use gets to be about uh, 12 to 15 feet tall in six months. 
and spends all of its time and energy just getting big. And so to get that quickly, it's like a straw kind of sucking up things out of the soil, including some of the problematic substances. He shared an example of a full cycle of biomass use in the Chesapeake Bay watershed, from planting the bio crops to removing decades of phosphorus buildup to harvesting the crops and using the yield in other ingenious ways. Farmers have used chicken litter for decades as part of their fertilizer, and so there's too much phosphorus in those soils. And as uh, those soils drain into the Chesapeake Bay, they create uh, algae blooms that ultimately kill fish and aquatic life. So if you can cost-effectively remove the phosphorus before it hits the water body, you've got a way of uh, protecting wildlife, fish, and, and, and other aquatic life. And if, in fact, you can include in that process the production of materials that you could then use to make bio products, whether it be bio-coal or biochar, or in our case, we found that the shredded material makes great poultry house bedding. And then we can collect the, the litter and turn that into a nutrient-enriched biochar that's valuable enough as a soil amendment to ship away from the watershed to other parts of the country where poor soils need uh, fertilizer or treatment to be more productive. This full cycle use is incredible in both scope and thoroughness. And this is just one example of Joe's big picture thinking. Uh, literally every week, we're coming up with different applications and different ways to make this thing work. Uh, for example, it turns out that the char material, if we shred uh, wood and sh or shred plant material and then carbonize it, turn it into a char and then grind it, we're discovering that if you blend that with polymers, you can make plastics and composites that are stronger, lighter, water, and heat resistant. This process of roasting biomass creates a substance that Joe sees as quite useful. It's called biochar. The essence of it for some of the products we make is to char the material, make a charcoal-like material, and then you either pelletize it to make biocoal or you grind it to make the fillers that I described earlier that enhance the performance of plastics and composites. Imagine using the char created from a plant that has just sucked up toxins from a Superfund site to make stronger plastic airplane or auto parts. This full-use thinking continues with another technology patent that Joe and his team are working on, the process of torrefaction. Torrefaction is an old word. It's a French word. Basically, it means roasting. So you're essentially roasting biomass in the absence of oxygen. And the technical term for that is pyrolysis. And torfaction is sort of a mild pyrolysis. And uh, we're, st we're still focused on using that technology because it has lots of application. And it, the, the nature of the torfaction process that we use is very efficient and environmentally benign and very productive. So you can see the iterations of this plant life, from soil remediation to harvesting and using torrefaction. Joe and his team are working with local and national players to identify clients for the various products this process creates. The, the plastics market is a huge market in the U.S. The tire market, where one-third of the fillers that are used in tires are carbon black, we're thinking that the same sort of benefits that we create in polymers and plastics will be the same for tires, and uh, we look forward to experimenting with the tire industry to see if this could be a, a component that they would add to tires as well. And Joe's growth strategy is not ending there. I'm excited that we just purchased a six-acre site in one of the poorest black rural communities in South Carolina, and we're hopeful that this time year, that next year, we may have a pilot operation open that will be processing biomass on that site. So we've made progress. It's been hard and challenging, but uh, we're very excited about what we've done so far. 
When we spoke to Joe in August 2018, he had a patent pending for the methods he's described here. He calls it the Combined Remediation Biomass and Bioproduct Production Process. It's an awful name, and the acronym's not much better, CRBBP. The name may be a bit of a mouthful, but the concept behind it is strong. To use the biomass in its continual stages with the aim of creating zero waste. I came up with a concept of, well, how can I multitask the crops that we might grow and whose biomass we might ultimately use, can I, what can I find for them to do before we harvest them? And then after harvesting, what else could I do with the material before I ultimately turn it into a bioproduct? I'm intrigued by the concept of circular economy. Circular economy means that you make products that never end up in a waste heap. Joe is not alone in seeing the value of this approach. Since taping our interview, his innovation is no longer patent pending. As of October 2nd, 2018, Three years after he submitted his initial application, Combined Remediation Biomass and Bioproduct Production Process is officially patent approved. Joe couldn't contain his excitement when he shared this update with us. He described the validation of the official patent as a great honour. As someone who's been through the full process, he can attest to the benefits patents provide to innovators trying to foster a new idea. If you're seeking funding and uh, investors or other forms of funding, Having patents that help to protect your intellectual property are extremely important. It's not just investors, even federal programs like the Small Business Investment Research, SBIR program. When you submit an application, they'll evaluate your, your application. Uh, and if you have patents that are issued or patents that are pending, you'll score better than you will otherwise. And Joe's advice to innovators? There's a variety of programs across the country that provide assistance and mentoring and, and advice. And in some cases, uh, uh, capital, not it, not investment capital always, but sometimes just uh, grant capital, grant monies that could be helpful to help you get to a commercialization. So I would say take advantage of those things. If there are others who hear this podcast that have some ways of benefiting us and collaborating with us, we'd love to hear from them. And we won't get this done without the help of lots of other folks and, and collaboration with companies and governments and other partners. So I look forward to that. Starting a business around a new patent-pending idea can be an uphill climb. But as with these entrepreneurs, the sacrifice and challenges are well worth the effort when you're doing something that you're passionate about. Sometimes I wonder like, oh my gosh, why am I still going? Like, this is so hard. And then I get an email or a phone call and I get like support and encouragement from amputees themselves who heard about what I'm doing. And that just always reminds me, like, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm changing people's lives. Knowing that the issue of drug-facilitated assault can affect anyone, regardless of age, gender, sexual orientation, and, and geographic location. And knowing that hopefully I'm working towards creating social change around this issue that is so personal to me, um, really keeps me motivated every single day. I'm hoping that one day in rural South Carolina, we will be growing crops or processing wood waste that will ultimately end up as auto parts for the car industry that's in our state or plane parts for the aviation industry that's there as well. So that's my dream. Thanks again to our guests, Daniel Sherman, Amira Idris, and Joe James, and to all the innovators and inventors listening out there. I'm Lauren Hutchinson, and thanks for tuning in to this episode of Stroke of Genius. Please rate and review us on the Apple Podcast app or wherever you listen to your podcasts. 